Welcome to the Investing Tutor Podcast, the show for professionals looking to master the most up-to-date strategies needed to build wealth and provide a stable financial future. Here's your host, Dr. Hans Boateng. Hey friends, Dr. Hans here, the Investing Tutor, and I have an incredible episode for you today. Joining us on the podcast is Daniel Segal. So I found out about Daniel because he went viral on Twitter, and we're going to dive into more of that soon. But to tell you a little bit about Daniel, he runs this investment community, Millennial Wall Street, and we're going to learn you know, some more about that. He is pursuing a degree in investment banking, and he does some freelance work with regards to accounting and investment or financial analysis. So without further ado, you all help me welcome Daniel Segal. Uh, Daniel, how are you? Pretty good. Thank you so much for having me on. My absolute pleasure. So Daniel, let's start off with your post that went super viral. (laughs) (laughs) I was on Twitter and this post comes up and it says, Moses says, I'll split the C in two. And Musk, Elon Musk, right? So Musk Uh says, I will split the stock in five. So what led you to post that, you know, incredible tweet that went viral? I don't know. I saw, I mean, the news, everybody was going crazy about the Tesla stock split. And I mean, I'm, I'm Jewish. So I just injected a little bit of creative humor into the situation and I didn't really think anything of it. I just, I occasionally have these moments of creativity um, and I sometimes I tweet them or sometimes I write them down, but there's nothing really consistent creatively. It's just a random moment. And I tweeted that and I guess it kind of took off. I didn't, I didn't think it was going to, I just, I, I had a good laugh about it myself. And I guess the FinTwit, our financial Twitter community, uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. <laughs> Absolutely. I surely did. I even reposted it on my Instagram. So yeah. let's talk a little bit about Tesla and then we'll shift into the stock market. So you do freelance analysis in terms of, you know, the stock market investing, uh, you know, finance. So let's look at Tesla. Tesla's okay. stock is currently 2,100. I remember around March, excuse me, around February, it dropped right. to about $360, you know, $400, so that range. Yep. So looking at how Tesla has climbed in over the past, let's say, five months, what mm-hmm. are your thoughts? What's driving this, uh, you know, this bull case for Tesla? Uh, well... The climb has been extraordinary, a little bit crazy, some might say. Um, I mean, I'm a full disclosure. I am a shareholder. I've been holding it for a few years now. So I'm not complaining about the rise, but I also have no plans to sell it for a very long time. Um, Absolutely. But in the and sh- give, us, give us your thought process. So what even made you, you know, want to own Tesla back when a lot of people were, in quote, shorting the stock? I mean, you have to be a little contrarian whenever you go, whenever you pick up stocks individually. It's not like buying an index where you get everything. Whenever you're doing your due diligence, you have to look at the bull case 
the bear case and whatever kind of analysis that you put together, you then have to take the opposite side of it uh, just to understand what the other side is thinking. Uh, but a lot of it, uh, I'll be honest, I mean, look, this is not a regular car company. The metrics are just not similar to any of their automobile competitors. We also have to factor in the technological side of it. And you also have to factor in management and leadership. And I'll be completely honest, a lot of it is betting a little bit on the jockey and not only the horse. I mean, Elon Musk has an incredible mind. So there's that aspect of it. I don't really want to miss out on the potential upside of this individual's leadership. Um, but also, it's just a unique business because nobody else is doing what they are doing. I mean, they are first to market. I mean, obviously, they have competitors, and you have people who are now going into the autonomous uh, vehicle space, and they're slowly doing research and development. But Tesla is just way ahead of the game. And then they also have their corporate strategy of, of uh, buying the credits, the carbon credits, and then mm -hmm. reselling them to all of their competitors, which, I mean, some people say, oh, like, this is, this is not their core business, and they're only profitable because of those carbon credits. Uh, but listen, if, if you have a business advantage, you take advantage, or you leverage that advantage, and you use it to your benefit as long as you possibly can. And if that's how they're going to outlast the competition, competition and fund their operations, then why not? I mean, why not invest in brilliance on that level? But aside from that, the, the meteoric rise of Tesla has been, I think, driven a lot by the speculators on, unfortunately, Robinhood or Wall Street bets. I mean, these are a lot of young and inexperienced investors who are speculating, and it's fine. I mean, everybody has to learn and everybody has to get into it at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, but they, I think that a lot of people are just reading the news or reading the headlines, and they're just uh, looking at a lot of the memes on Instagram and uh, partly on Twitter. They're just having fun with it. And again, nothing wrong with it. Uh, Elon Musk has mastered the use of Twitter. I mean, some of his tweets move the market cap of the company in the billions of dollars either up or down. So yeah, I think there's also been a lot of pain for the short sellers because every time it goes up, they have to cover it. Yep. Um, which means but, they have to, you know, realize that position, which means they have to buy it. <laughs> correct. <laughs> for, yeah. So they're giving up their stock. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, it's what I would say. Um, and what I think Elon Musk has said, and I kind of agree with him completely on this is, if you don't have the stomach for volatility, you probably should not stay in this equity uh, just because, again, if, if you can't handle it, then it will drive you crazy. I personally have come to the point in my portfolio because uh, I've been I've been doing this for now almost I've been I've been in the market now since 2011 and mm. I'm still young and I still have a lot more to learn and way, way more to go. But I'm at the point now where I don't even check my portfolio anymore i mean I, I just i just came back from a week-long vacation in montana and mm -hmm. i didn't check my emails i didn't check the markets i didn't check bloomberg cnbc uh, i didn't check my td ameritrade account like not one time i don't care it's just because i know what businesses i'm invested in and i'm confident in them long term and i'm not a trader so, absolutely absolutely yeah so you say you've been investing since 2011 uh, take yeah. us back how did you gain exposure to investing? Was it 
um, intertwined with your upbringing? You know, perhaps, you know, parents spoke to you about money investing. I'm just curious because for me, it was a mentor who, you know, asked me to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Prior to Mm -hmm. that, I didn't even know the stock market existed. And and that's what you typically see with immigrants and some minorities. So I'm just curious right. for you, like how did you gain uh, exposure or knowledge about investing? My very first exposure to the stock market was in 2009. And that was my senior year of high school. It was the spring semester. And I was in my economics class. And the the professor said, we, I mean, we just learned basics about the stock market and then he said we're going to play a semester long stock market game where you have this fake money and you're going to pick a few companies you're going to use this website i don't remember what it was and you're going to track them and you're going to just write a report at the end of the year so i picked the four like i'll never forget this the four the four companies that i picked with that fake market game were ford because that was my very first car I picked Bank of America because that was my first checking account. I picked California Pizza Kitchen, which is a restaurant that was actually public back then. It's no longer public. It's now owned by a private equity firm. And the fourth company I picked was Chipotle because back then it was an up and coming place. And everybody like my friends and I, we would always go to Chipotle like a few times a week. So just I picked companies that I was familiar with because I was using those products and services. This is, again, spring 2009, so this is actually essentially the bottom of the market from the financial crisis, and everything was like all of the stocks were going up and whatever, and then the semester ends, and I forget about everything, and I start college in the later, later in 2009. I have no idea what my focus is. I have no idea what I want to do or major in, but I completely forget about the stock market and everything. And then, I'm, so I'm just having a very good time in college, not caring about anything, not caring about academics or not focused on the future, um, just fooling around, not performing well, whatever. And then in 2011, I get reintroduced to it by, um, by one of my mentors in the fraternity I joined. He actually introduced me to the options market because that was what he was studying while he was, that was what he was currently studying at that moment because he was a finance major. And the math just made sense. And after that, I kind of did all self-studying. I started looking up invest. I started like just learning everything on investopedia.com, just the key terms, the definitions. I started watching Yahoo Finance, started watching CNBC, started just put away a little bit of money from my part-time job and started investing a little bit. And it's been kind of going since then. And right around that 2011 point when I've, got interested, I started talking to a bunch of people about it. So call it around 50 or so individuals. And I would have these, I would have like talks, I mean, just meet up for coffee and talk or hop on a phone call, text, email, whatever. And this went on for about three years with these 50 people. And then I got exhausted by it. And I said, okay, I need to centralize these 50 because I'm just, I'm just tired. And I put them all into a Facebook group. I called that Facebook group Millennial Wall Street. I, I couldn't tell you how I came up with the name. It's just, it's just there. Um, and then that Facebook group started growing and growing and growing. And it was all organic. I never really, I never advertised. I was just kind of 
it was just it was honestly it was just a selfish move on my part because I said okay I need to make my life easier and get everybody together and make my idea just make it an easy place for my ideas to be blasted out to everybody at one time. Beyond that, I was able to land some internships. I, I landed wealth management internships at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and then another internship that was more focused on insurance but holistic financial planning at Northwestern Mutual. I realized uh, after that that wealth management and planning wasn't for me, and then I thought, okay, let me do portfolio management and analysis, and I thought I'd be a hedge funder, go down the mm. CFA route. Uh, do equity research for a few years at an investment bank and then exit into a buy side shop. I found a hedge fund manager who is a mentor. He continues to mentor me. Uh, we talk a few times a year and just to catch up and everything. And then after that, I, I started networking with way more people in the industry. And I just realized that, okay, hedge funds tend to underperform um, everything. It's like there's fee compression across the entire landscape just because institutions are getting tired of underperformers. And I figured, okay, what, am, what are some of my strengths? I'm really good at connecting people. I'm really good at making introductions. Uh, I'm good at doing individual analysis and helping businesses just kind of get through an issue because I've, I've done some consulting like for, for strategy. So I figured, okay, like maybe investment banking is the right route. So I started speaking and networking with bankers and I'm pretty set on going into banking once I graduate. And now I know like somebody who's listening to this is thinking like, wait, you started college in 2009 and you're still not graduated. So as I mentioned before, the first few years of college, I completely fooled around. I didn't care. I just had, a, I was having a really great time. And then a few years into it, once I got serious, right when I got serious, I had some major medical stuff happen that really threw me off track. And that's that's medical stuff is all better now. And so now I'm back in school full time, just trying to graduate as soon as possible and get my iBanking internships and then head off to Wall Street once I graduate. I think that was the quickest explanation I've ever given of how I got exposure to the stock market to where I am now. Hope that wasn't confusing anywhere. <laughs> no, not at all. What a phenomenal story. And also, I'm, I'm just glad that, you, you know, health wise, you're, you're, you're oh, doing thanks. better. Yeah. So looking at the stock market, a lot of investors are like, hey, you know, the market is climbing, uh, you know, at record levels. Today, I was looking at the S&P 500. I saw that around um, March, excuse me, uh, around February 14th of this year, the S&P 500 was almost at about 3,400. And right, obviously it fell. And right now we're a little over 3,400. But then okay. many people feel like the market is in a bubble. Like, and I'm looking at the right. chart. I'm like, hey, we're pretty much where we were <laughs> like yeah. in February. The, so yeah, the, the so rebound that, has been incredible. It has. So what, what's, why are some individuals thinking that, you know, the market is in a bubble when this is nothing like, you know, in, in 2000 where companies had, you know, no earnings or no revenue. So I'm just curious your thoughts about the stock market right now. So, well, uh, like I mentioned earlier in the, in the last week, I haven't really checked anything. I mean, I barely read the wall street journal this morning. Yeah. Uh, and, but... and not, not even from the week or the day, just yeah, in yeah, yeah. I just, general, yeah. I, I think that I think that investors 
are flocking to the few companies that they know, which of course is Fang. Um, so Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, or Facebook, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google. Um, I guess you can throw Microsoft in there. Um, I mean, people are just flocking into these technology giants, which on a cap weighted or capitalization weighted basis make up the majority of the S&P 500. And because these companies are so huge, they move the entire S&P 500 index. And so when you look at the SPY ETF, it just it's a juggernaut. And so it just keeps moving it up and up and up and up and up. And that makes it seem like the entire market is going up. While if you I'm pretty sure that if you take those out of the index, the rest of the market might be a little lackluster. Again, That's like, true. I'm, I'm not I'm not certain because my core holdings right now are Amazon, Tesla. I have a little bit of uh, the company Medtronic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm exploring a few other positions right now. And I mean, mm-hmm. I have a huge watch list, but I haven't really been pulling the trigger. I mean, I was stupid. I wish I pulled the trigger more in March rather than just depositing into my uh, Roth IRA, which is made up of a bunch of diversified ETFs that I don't even control. Yeah, I think everybody who is young, uh, maybe a little inexperienced, I know a lot of them are buying call options on Robinhood, like there's no tomorrow, but I know that institutions are just continuing to go into these huge juggernauts that are proven sustainable, mm-hmm. have high quality businesses, good management, and have recurring revenue. I, I don't know how else, I really, I don't, I don't know how else to explain it. I think, I think that the market is just confident in these few companies, massive firms. Yeah. Yeah. Because they are, these companies are set up in a way to really, I would say benefit from, from future trends. Right. So we're talking about thematic investing. If an individual believes that technology is, is core for the future, which obviously it is, then, Mm -hmm. you know, these core companies um, are definitely the winner, so to speak. But, to your point, if you take out the the top five right out of the yeah top five S and P top six yeah top six yep if you take them out of the S and P five hundred I believe the average return of the remaining four hundred and ninety four companies is negative two, <laughs> but wow. the yeah, the average return of the top six is about forty percent, so a forty percent increase for for this year. These top five, top six are real, pretty much carrying the market, which means that over the next year or two, right, when COVID is under control and the other sectors or companies begin to pick up, we're going mm-hmm. to see, you know, even a rally, so to speak. And I, I don't think people really get that. It's so interesting because when you think about it, it's like because if these um, other companies or these other sectors are lagging behind, they have to eventually, you know, get back to at least neutral. Yeah, everything mm-hmm. has to revert to the mean. Absolutely. But that's actually, like, to, to your point, I like what you said. I mean, this creates a great time to buy, uh, to, to buy the companies that are not being covered as much by analysts, companies that aren't really in the news. Um, and I mean, you have to kind of start looking at uh, boring businesses just because yes. boring businesses are consistent, they can survive. And when they are trading at a, at a, I mean, when they are trading at a discount to 
uh, intrinsic value. I mean, obviously that's value investing, but if when they're trading at a substantial discount, um, but you know that the underlying business is still healthy, that's a great time to start picking these up. And obviously you have to be, you have to be selective and picky and you don't want to put all your eggs in one basket, especially if you want to have multiple holdings, but it's always a good time to start exploring now. Um, and at least at least building a watch list. I mean, I, I can't even, I don't, I don't have my watch list pulled up in front of me, but I'm pretty sure I have like 50 or 60 companies on there. Um, just because like, I like, I know that these companies are high quality. You mentioned that Amazon is a part of your core holding. Why Amazon? Because a lot of people don't even realize that their core cash cow is Amazon Web Services, which is the cloud yep. system. Absolutely. And that that business is what generates all of their cash that they use to finance all of their other operations. Absolutely. Um, Jeff Bezos is a brilliant manager. I mean, he's probably probably like top five smartest people on the planet in terms of, I guess, at least just at least, I mean, at least in commerce and human behavior, he just understands how people work. Um, and the reason is not only because he says, Oh, like we have to focus on customers and give them a good experience, but also because he selects really good executives and managers and he lets them run their operations within Amazon. And he kind of just sits back and oversees what they do. Um, so I think he's just a brilliant manager. Again, it's just investing in the mind of a very smart person. Um, but also, yeah, AWS is in, I don't know, like they're the cloud provider for how many companies now? Uh, yeah, like even Netflix, many people don't know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Amazon is just a diversified conglomerate. Yep. Um, they have Amazon Prime in... I think over 50% of U.S. households, so that's a recurring revenue stream. Everybody buys on Amazon. I mean, people buy from Walmart.com. Like for all these companies are developing marketplaces, but Amazon is just—they're just the best. I mean, say what you will about them politically with the whole Washington Post thing or whatever, but Amazon is an incredible business. And I even even if you break them up, even if Washington says, okay, we're tired of this, we have to break them up for whatever reason. Okay, you break them up and now you have a bunch of high quality businesses. And as a shareholder, if you can get a if you can get a few high quality businesses in your portfolio, there's nothing to complain about. <laughs> I definitely agree. So yes. Daniel, in wrapping up, there's one question I like to ask all our guests. Sure. So you know the concept of generational wealth, right? Where you're passing sure. on assets to multiple generations. I sure. came up with this concept of generational wisdom, right? So mm -hmm. passing on core nuggets of wisdom to, mm -hmm. you know, the next generation. So if you had, you know, just a paper and you could share three core points or three core nuggets mm -hmm. that will okay. be passed on to multiple generations of what you want them to know, whether it's about life, you know, investing, money, you know, psychology of money, whatever it is, you know, okay. what would those three points or those three nuggets be? Um, okay. Health is your number one asset because if you don't have your health, you have nothing. So treat your health uh, you know, be good, be good to your, be good to your body. Um, because I mean, I can tell you this firsthand, if you, it doesn't matter how 
rich or how poor you are. If you're laying in a hospital bed for three weeks, you're laying in a hospital bed for three weeks and you can't buy your way out of that. Um, so be very good with your health. And I think Warren Buffett even says that the best, the best, uh, vehicle you will ever have is, is your body. Um, so treat your, it is the most expensive Lamborghini or Ferrari that you will ever own. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and when I say health, that, that's, that encompasses everything. So that's physical health, mental health, um, all of that. So just be very good about it. And so that, that's one aspect. When it comes to money and finances, I find that automating, like I find that automation, especially with all the technology that we have, is very helpful. So using direct deposits and automation tools to immediately allocate funds to your savings accounts, to your investment accounts, and to all of your bank accounts, and to have everything just set up so that way you're not thinking about it, because human behavior is probably the biggest thing that's in your way to reaching financial success. And in addition to automation, obviously, don't spend more money than you earn and pay off your highest interest debt first because there is good debt and that good debt is low interest debt. Third piece of advice. So what I, I covered health, I covered finance. Set goals and execute. I guess, I mean, that's, that's so broad. I know that's such a cliche thing to say, but okay. Set, set thing, uh, create goals that are manageable and make make those big decisions break break up the big decisions and the big goals into small daily steps that you can quantify and and make them manageable so that way you can celebrate the short-term successes you know so if you want to think really 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 big picture futuristic that's great and you should have those long-term goals but now break it up into smaller steps and make those steps in even into even smaller steps and then start attacking those, you know, just put one foot in front of the other and start going after those. And I think that's the best way to eventually reach success because it's not overnight. Daniel, this has been fantastic for the listeners that want to possibly join the Facebook group or connect with you. Can you share with them how or where they can find you? Sure. So I am on Twitter at Daniel Segal. So that's just uh, at the at sign. And then it's D-A-N-I-E-L-S-I-G-A-L at Daniel Segal. And then uh, I don't know what the age range is of uh, the audience, but um, I'm 28 years old. So I'm on Facebook and the Facebook group. I mean, so the group is on Facebook and the, the name of the group is simply Millennial Wall Street. So M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L and then space wall, space street. So yeah, look forward to seeing you all on Twitter and in the Facebook group. When you, if and when you join the Facebook group, make sure you answer the three questions just so I know who you are and where you're coming from and how you heard about it. And so I can verify you're a human being. Yeah, absolutely. And you all, yeah. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and put the links uh, to the Facebook group and even Daniel's Twitter 
in the podcast notes so you can check that out. Uh, Daniel, I just want to thank you so much. You've been a wealth of knowledge. I've thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. I wish you all the best on your journey, you know, to become an investment banker. I look forward to inviting you back in a few years when you're actively in the role, you know, having 80 to 100 hour weeks <laughs> and, and, and being able to have that discussion and, and also seeing you grow in your career. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for your time. Great. Thanks so much, Dr. Botang. I really appreciate your time. Uh, and thank you for everyone who's listening. I hope you all could take something away from this. 